0: your cultural competence listen to interesting stories learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them get the global perspective here at culture matters podcast on international business we help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences helping you develop your cultural competence Hello, good afternoon, good evening, or maybe good morning as well. Welcome to the Culture Matters uh, podcast, where we have Anna Maria Darmanin as our special guest. She's from um, the middle of the Mediterranean, so I'll tell you where she's from herself. But she, it's it's quite an interesting short little resume that she, uh, she gave me in terms of her introduction. It's the following. Anna Maria is an entrepreneur, a policy advisor, a sailor, a university lecturer where she teaches intercultural communication, a Maltese who lives in different places at different times of the year, Belgium, Canary Islands, Sicily and Malta. What a life. It's a really casual and uh, uh, nice flowing interview where we touch on several um, several subjects from the sailing that she does to Christmas where where she's gonna spend that and um, we talk about whether or not Europe has failed or not so definitely listen to the interview we're gonna go there right now it's time for this week's guest at the culture matters podcast here's your host Chris Smith hello Anna Maria or is it An- An- Anna Marie?
1: Anna Maria, that's fine.
0: Oh, good, thank you. I thought, I, thought I, I made a mistake from the first second of this interview <laughs> already.
1: Um, don't worry, I answer to many things. Some people call me Anna Marie, some people call me Maria. Um, so don't
0: worry. How about Annie? Nobody Annie, calls you uh, Annie.
1: Annie is nice. Nobody calls me. Um, but if you want the best one, is Nah. It's very short. Nah. Okay.
0: No, I'm going <laughs> to stick with Anna Maria. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for, uh, for coming on the show. It's, um, you're actually quite close to where I am currently, but that's maybe um, for you to say where you are, because my first question usually is, it's actually always is, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you come from? Where are you now? And what is your cultural frame of reference?
1: Okay. So I'm uh, actually from Malta. Mm -hmm. I'm Maltese. I've been um, uh, visiting Belgium, and then set up actually my my home in Belgium in the last eleven years. And it was primarily due to work, Uh being involved in one of the EU institutions representing my country. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But I I travel a lot around, and so I am often in the Canary Islands or in Sicily. um, And usually, I'm there because I'm a. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. so, uh, <laughs> when I'm not in Brussels I live on a boat okay. so I, I am where the boat is and this is usually somewhere in the Mediterranean or in the Atlantic uh, close to the Canary Islands so actually um, this, this has brought me to think very much that you know I, I don't belong in one place and, and often mm-hmm. some people tell me um, where is home and I just uh, say, oh, well, I don't really know where home is yeah. because everywhere has become my home and I can settle everywhere. Uh, and, and this is when you ask me, what is my, my sort of uh, framework mm-hmm. in, in terms of, of, of culture? Also, from a personal perspective, it's very much, you know, being accustomed to being, uh, adjusting to being anywhere, really, mm-hmm. and learning in my case that wherever I am, even here in Belgium, even if I have my house here, it's like I'm a guest, you know. So uh, what's, what's very important for me is that I, I adjust to the country I am in. And generally, I'm, I'm just very thankful and appreciative mm-hmm. that I am allowed to be a guest in that country,
0: yeah. Makes good sense. Um, just uh, taking it one step at a time. And um, just before hitting record, we discussed, we talked to you for a couple of minutes as well, because she gave me quite a hard time in terms of preparing for this. And hence, I hardly could prepare because it was just virtually impossible, given the fact that you are, I'm going to say it again. We heard it in the introduction already. You're a um, an entrepreneur, a policy advisor, a sailor, <laughs> try to combine that one a policy advisor and a sailor and a university lecturer uh, at the um, university in in Malta so the very yeah. first step is where is malta because i know 50% of the audience lives and listens from the united states the rest li- lives and listens from the other parts of the world the rest of the world if you want and malta is not maybe not a well known country so what where is malta
1: So Malta is a very, very little island, uh, which is bang on in the center of the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The the funniest description I heard of the island in terms of its size, Mm -hmm. it's like one pixel on a screen. So, (laughs) you know, it's so tiny.
0: Okay, Malta. So it's in, in the middle of the of the uh, of the Mediterranean. You're currently in Belgium. That we know where that is. That is the uh, that ha- houses Brussels, which is the capital of Europe, as they say. Then there are the Canary Islands, which are from the uh, part of Spain, but are in for the coast of uh, Atl- on the, in the Atlantic, if you want, for the coast of Africa. Sicily yep. is part of Italy, one of the southern mm-hmm. islands. So this is where you sort of um, uh, move back and forth between. Yep. Okay, so so, what's how do you how do you combine being um, an advisor for the European Economic and Social Committee because that's what it is, right? yeah and a sailor what's that all about <laughs> sorry for laughing it is still, I, I find it such a difficult one to, to match of course i mean it's 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 unique i think a lot of people will say okay well i'd like that as well
1: <laughs> I, I think in my in my case it was a choice of lifestyle many years ago uh-huh. when i decided that i i uh, don't want to have one thing i'm working at but i want to be able to work at a diverse number of things it's just because character I am is the way I am I would get very bored just doing one thing but I need to have diversity in in my life and so um I, I seek this diversity in in work yeah. and sailing is it's where my passion lies um uh, and uh, when I was putting a lot of time actually too much time into my work uh mm-hmm. it, it was a period in my life where, where work would take all my, my time, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I don't know what it happens when, when you reach 40. All of a sudden, your eyes open and you start realizing many things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized that work shouldn't be just everything in my life. And I should be spending sort of more time also doing other things. And this is where I, I got into sailing more and I spent more time sailing. But then uh, sailing also became partly work. Fun work because what what we do is we have a sailing school mm-hmm. and a chartering company. So um, sailing did become part of my work no, I in in this in this way. So so when I'm sailing, it's it's partly also working. It's a fun, complete different kind of work. It's physically tiring. It's it's also mentally tiring in 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 a certain way as well. But it, it's it's kind of work. Mm-hmm.
0: It's, it's kind of worth. I think, I think a lot of people are wondering, like, I wish I had that kind of lifestyle. So uh, it's it's interesting. We'll we'll talk a little bit about uh, Salana sailing, as it's called, I believe. Um, yeah. And uh, but I'd like to to take a step back and um, and because we are this is the Culture Matters podcast and we we talk about cultural diversity, etc. So there are a, a couple of of um, angles that we can take with your international experience. That is the first one, if that's okay with you. Is, um, that you were a former vice, vice president of the EESC, which stands for, I have to flip a tab again, European <laughs> Economic and Social Committee. What, what does that do? And what did you do within that committee?
1: Okay, so uh, the committee is an institution, one of the EU institutions, which represents what we call civil society. Mm-hmm. So NGOs, workers, organizations, employer organizations from all across Europe. Mm-hmm. So 28 member states um, having all of them, their representatives within this institution and then giving an input on EU, European Union legislation from the perspective of of civil society, so being a voice for the citizen, but in terms of um, organized groups,
0: can you, can you groups. be more? Can you give an example? I find. So, I mean, I, I live close to Brussels, and occasionally I go to the the, the Schumann Square, where all the European yeah. buildings are. At least the, the the Commission, the European Commission, is there. And I, it's a gorgeous building and they're building even nicer build, buildings around it as well. And I always wonder what's going on there. <laughs> so, I'm sorry about that. It's just, it's, it's, it's probably ignorance or, or just, just plain oh, no,
1: no, but Chris, it's, it's so much over the years being here, I realized that even in bosses, it's because it is about culture, but yeah. It, there are two complete different cities in one city. Uh-huh. There is the part which is EU institutions and people working in the EU institutions and another part which I, I call the real Brussels, uh-huh. you know, the Brussels of the Belgians and of uh, many other who, people who have chose to live here. Yeah. But they seem to be so split. Yes. Yes. You- never mix and and this is partly i mean i i am very critical to the institutions in this respect because this is partly we should be more acknowledging brussels as a city which has hosted the institutions and also being more integrated but there seems to be this this great divide yeah
0: yeah, no, just I, I very break. much agree. Yes, I mean, I'm, physically you don't see it, of course, uh, because one street leads to the other, and they're just big buildings as they are other big buildings in Brussels as well. But, I very but you much perceive agree. it. Yes, exactly. We, it. We've had um, uh, a, an, a top lobbyist as well from Brussels. Vice Russian, um, which is his last name. He's not Russian, but his last name is Russian, and he's a lobbyist. And he he talks about um, the bubble, and he calls it a bubble within yeah. Brussels. So yeah. if if you can if you can get back. To the EESC, the, yes. G- e- the yeah. so, European Economic so, Commission, sorry, yeah. Social Committee. I
1: can't get it out. <laughs> it's okay. So um, if you were to imagine um, all the different organizations, which there are uh, organizations re- representing uh, environmentalists, yeah. others re- representing consumer interests, others representing, for example, um, disabled people, um, organizations representing farmers' interests, then organizations representing employers, mm-hmm. and then also trade unions. So there's a variety of specific interests, yes. uh, organizations with specific interests. And what the EESC does is get these all together from the different member states, and all together we discuss uh, EU legislation as it goes, as the process goes, mm-hmm. and as this legislation is announced, and then come up with a common position to give input on how these organizations believe the legislation will affect Europeans. So really it is an institution where it tries to reach consensus amongst this diversity of different interests and opinions.
0: So, okay, fair enough. Um, the, 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 I'm going to uh, try and clear this up for myself and hopefully for the audience as well. The uh, the weirdest organization—it's—it's just—and it's just my ignorance uh, to giving me these kind of words—is uh, somebody who represents the glass industry. Right. So that we have, if you look outside, you're looking probably, and you're inside, you're probably looking through a a glass window. Glass is being made. There are companies that make glass that manufacture glass, and this guy is from the Netherlands, as it happens to be, and he represents the the Dutch glass makers, and he lobbies for them. Does that right. mean he would go to you?
1: He could come to the institution, he would not himself be directly appointed as a member, but because he would be part of a chamber of commerce, probably Uh uh, representing this sector, his chamber, there would be somebody representing the chamber as a member from this institution. So he can either directly come to the institution himself and link up with uh, Dutch members Or he can do it via his own Chamber of Commerce.
0: Now, suppose then what Brussels legislates would be a law that tells uh, glassmakers, in this case, um, the minimum uh, level of insulation that double glazed windows should have is X. I don't know if this this makes any sense from a technical standpoint. Then... This is what you would discuss, what the impact would be in Bulgaria, that the impact would be in in Belgium, in whatever, other, in Spain.
1: Rather than the impact in the different countries, it would be more trying to find a a global perspective of the impact on the EU. And when there would be a Uh, an impact which is very, very different in the different member states. Mm -hmm. You know, making a lot of caution on what should be um, legislated in terms of having maybe minimum standards, what we call uh, subsidiarity, but that's just using EU EU jargon. But but coming up with then what we would um, uh, recommend as being minimum legislation.
0: Okay. All right. So it's... (sighs) I have a question in, in my mind, which is something like, how, how do you make that work with these 28 member states? Or uh, maybe to maybe make it a little bit more juicy. Are there any countries that are uh, really uh, good at implementing this this kind of legislations? Are there countries that sort of uh, drag their heels with this?
1: Oh, yes. Um, so in your question, I, mm. I could perceive Two, two actual questions uh-huh. how do how do we in actual fact come up with a common position mm-hmm. and, and, and this comes a lot in, in uh, this is where you have to be also very culturally sensitive because a lot goes on in negotiations when before actually having formal discussions so um negotiation is already uh, quite quite a skill in itself yeah. being able to do that with the diversity am- amongst the countries is is a complete uh, different matter um so so that's that's where you know you have to know how to deal with the germans when it comes to negotiating with the Germans, and I mentioned the Germans specifically mm-hmm. because always when negotiating, you need to have the Germans on your side.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just because they're so big, just because they're running Europe, you mean?
1: Yeah, they, yeah, they are big. They are. Um, if you take the council, it, it's Germany which is which is re- very much controlling the agenda. So, so you have to have the Germans on 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 your side. Um, uh, then, how to deal with the British? Who are always generally the ones who will have, always have a different position, and nearly sometimes you would imagine they just want to have a different position for the sake of being different. Yeah, yeah just to be
0: contrarian.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and the French uh, and so on and so forth. So so much goes in. Being able, deciding or thinking which are the first countries I I should be approaching, whom I need to have on my side, uh, and then how can I influence the other countries – and then your other question is is in general, which are the ones which implement faster yeah. um, uh, um, as compared to the others? Um, I, I would say rather than, because there, it, it very much depends on the kind of legislation. So our, there are some uh, legislation which, for example, uh, the Germans implement much faster, but there is others where the Scandinavian countries implement faster or, or, or drag their feet. So it, it's very much depending on what legislation? But what I can say is that you have then what is called gold plating, which is going beyond um, what is legislated in Europe and, yeah. and adding more standards. And typically, um, in in uh, let's say general perception, is is the UK is the is the best at gold plating. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and,
0: and gold so, plating is not really real. Is that what you are saying? No. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It is just putting more uh, legislation oh, yeah. more fluff yes <laughs> which next with fact makes life then more difficult for 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 whoever is in the UK for businesses which try to run in the UK and and then the, the strange thing about it is when it comes to then social laws, mm-hmm. uh, laws which protect workers, mm-hmm. um, you get most of the loopholes within the UK, which is, for example, most typically the country where it's known for its zero hours contract. So you have workers employed on a contract which says zero hours, yeah. which is an absurd thing. But there's loopholes then right. in, in that respect
0: but they but they're okay with that. They don't need that further reg- legislation around that.
1: No. Yeah. They, exactly because it's a, it's a social legislation so they don't go play that.
0: Now I I know and this is because one thing leads to the other. It's it's um what is it 2016 2017 either one of those two years I think David Cameron the uh, the current um, uh, Prime Minister of the UK yeah. has promised the uh, his constituents that there will be a referendum, and yeah. whether the Brits can vote to be in or to be out of Europe. Um, yeah. So, f- I mean, it's hard to hard to the pros and against. So far, what I understand from uh, at least following the news and reading the Economist uh, every week is, I think, what Britain would actually benefit from staying in. But there's still a chance that there are naysayers enough. Uh, This whole thing, I know the Americans are looking at Europe as well. We as Europeans are looking at Europe as well. And have we failed as Europe as this whole experiment as being the EU?
1: Mm, okay. sorry to
0: ask this i, I hope you're okay with that
1: <laughs> yes no i'm, we can, I'm okay we'll talk with
0: about it. your sailing as well
1: no I'm, I'm totally okay with that and i, I will answer in, in very big honesty yes. um here so I, I i do believe that the goal that the ideal of of europe mm-hmm. was was a brilliant brilliant idea and it's built really on the foundations of democracy and what we have today is really the result of of being very democratic mm-hmm. uh, but what has happened the way i see it is we had some brilliant projects uh, including the euro uh, i yeah. i do put the euro in as, as being a, a great idea and a great project for unity mm-hmm. but what we have now i think is more still the the the, the perception or, or not the perception still countries which are first and foremost protecting their own interest and not seeing the bigger picture
0: yes every every country in and by itself yep yeah.
1: yep um, I have been sadly to to some council meetings of ministers where in the corridors you then do hear a minister saying oh yes ultimately I am going to do what my voters want And what will get me the votes? Because this is what politicians think. They think of their re-election. So they don't think very much longer term, which is the benefit of Europe. Mm -hmm. Having said this, um, I don't think it's the end or it has been a a failed project. Mm -hmm. I think there is more work to be put in and some more sacrificing from our political class, more than anything, of, of of thinking of the global picture more than just limiting uh, themselves to to short term and only to the country, their own country. That's really my. It's a it's a very big question to answer in a of few course. minutes.
0: <laughs> of course, and I don't. I mean, this is the, the, the truth is somewhere in between. I understand that as well. It's I very. am not a Eurosceptic at all. I believe in this concept of of this. Um, somebody once I, I read somebody I read somebody actually wrote down saying that Europe is at uh, the way it is, is more isn 't like an insurance policy for stability. Yeah, And of course, it's messy. I mean, the way we are dealing with asylum seekers is just, is, is, it's a know, disaster. It's beyond belief, I think. I, yeah. I mean, if in five years, or hopefully before that, shorter than that, we will look back on this, on what's going on right now. And by the way, if you're listening to this in the future, we're recording this on December 4th, um, 2015. Where Europeans don't know what to do with with the the thousands and thousands of asylum seekers, and and the only yeah. thing we seem to do is is build fences. So yeah. that that triggers the question in the discussion, I guess, as well as has uh, we we talk about Belgium being a failed state, but has Europe is, has Europe actually failed as as an idea? So <laughs> no, no, you don't have to repeat. This is, I mean, I'm 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 venting yeah. my own thoughts.
1: It's thought re- re- it. it's a rhetoric. Yeah, I understand. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and we should keep asking ourselves this mm-hmm.
0: and working more at it at us, the same time more
1: of us yeah. yes
0: yeah all right well anyways we're not going to put the word uh, the world to right in this <laughs> in this podcast for sure but i love the discussion uh in, in in any case um so you you're not doing that anymore with the eesc is that correct
1: yeah, as from last September yeah. I I stopped doing it and uh, now I'm more doing freelance uh, policy uh, uh, being a policy advisor, more on a freelance basis to um, particular organisations and and NGOs but yeah as from September I'm no longer doing it
0: Is there any particular reason that that's that you're willing to share with us uh, the fact that you because you've done it for for 11 plus years or something
1: yeah, um, I, I think it, it's. I, I always believe we have like cycles in our life uh-huh. where you can contribute and and be active in. But then um, after a certain time, even your own ideas start becoming stale. So it it was for me time to move on to something, right. other uh, another thing. Leave space to somebody else with fresher ideas, and and also. Partly to to be more stimulating for me in my own life.
0: Sure, yeah, that makes good Time sense. Time to
1: change, you
0: know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, that makes uh, that makes good sense. And um, the the so do you were you were not born on a boat, right? I'm moving into the boat at this moment. <laughs> so this is at a certain moment. You said I uh, work is taking over too much, and I want to uh, fill my life partly with something else. So you opted for a boat. Yeah. Okay. So tell us a little bit about, um, what's it called again, Salana, uh, Salana, Salana Sailing. sailing. Yes. One year yeah. and nine months you've been doing this.
1: Yep. Um, uh, so you should, because you said I wasn't born on a boat, which is, no, I wasn't. But you should... No, about uh, one thing about our small because it the island is so so tiny yeah. that I always say that the sea is what gives us our sanity mm. because you can look at the horizon on the sea and that gives you a sense of space mm. otherwise if you would lose all sense of space being such a very very small island yes. so so this the sea is is part and parcel of our life our culture uh, the way we are we always want to be by the sea or close
0: to the sea as Maltese
1: as Maltese yeah, yeah. Uh, I do realize that it's, it's typical for anyone coming from a small islands
0: yeah.
1: um, uh, and I, I, I've met a number of people across Europe when, when they move from an island to mainland it's one thing they miss most the mm-hmm. sea it's just part of our DNA, I would, I would presume. Yeah. And, and this Solana sailing, actually, uh, the, the idea came out me and my partner who are both sailors, mm-hmm. um, and also instructors, um, wanted to like, uh, set up our own school. We, the boat, uh, myself in my free time, and he more mm-hmm. on a full time basis in the last years were, were teaching sailing. So we set up our our own school. But even in in that respect, we we were not just based in in Malta where it all started. But we like the idea of being able to move with the boat mm-hmm. wherever we go, yeah. and and so just not being really based in in one place. So at the moment, the boat is in Tenerife in the Canary Islands. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, again being able to experience different places different cultures um, meet people uh, not only in the boating uh, sector but but generally in in all different walks of life from from different countries and this is why we like sailing for example twice a year we do this long sail from from malta or sicily or wherever we are Mm -hmm. um to the canary islands because like that you know you go by the coast, the different countries, I mean, including the, the Moroccan coast, yep. and, and you just get to experience just different cultures and different people, and it's great fun.
0: I can imagine, Imagine, yeah. Did you, out of curiosity, how big is the boat?
1: Um, the one we do this trip on is 14 meters.
0: Okay, that's decent. That's uh, that's bigger yeah. than the house I live in, almost, I think. <laughs> oh,
1: 14, one four.
0: Okay. All right great <laughs> and you do charting char, uh, chartering as well like yep. that and then you get uh, yep. like uh, different guests i guess from different different countries
1: Yes, different guests from different countries, um, the US, um, the UK, uh, primarily English speaking, since we're both English speaking. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and generally, I'm at our website and everything's in English. So we yeah. attract more English speaking um, guests. And it, it, is, it, it is very, very funny living on a boat for a whole week yeah. with. Um, people, guests, your own guests, but, uh, I mean, it is a small boat, 14 meters. So mm-hmm. you're 24 yes. seven on a very confined space, uh, with, um, four other people. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you do have these, all these peculiarities of different people, um, and, and how to deal with that. And, and it's just funny.
0: Any, any particular interesting cultural, cultural stories that you're willing to share?
1: Okay, um, I would say the, the the most recent ones. So, so um, a Scottish person uh-huh. on on the boat for weeks with us, and, and the Danish person. So um, the, the Scottish person is just so so um, uh, taken up with with their own ways of of eating. So typically on on the boat you eat. Fresh stuff which we get. Yeah. If you catch fish, you eat a fresh fish. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, you catch a fish, just cut it open and 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 cook it straight away. Yeah. It can't be any fresher. So the Scottish guy was actually missing his his corned beef mash. <laughs> and uh, yeah. wanting to 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 have is is sausages and and eggs oh my <laughs> and, God. Yeah. Uh, yeah yeah so so we had to find a way to balance out every now and again of having um what what i typically call the great mediterranean diet yes of fresh vegetables fresh fish and and sometimes the you know pasta whatever mm-hmm. to having the the typical scottish um uh, different food. I, and I'm I'm very happy I am a, a sort of flexible vegan, I would say, because I eat fresh fish. Um, otherwise I eat just vegetables. Mm. So I got away with it saying, I'm sorry I don't eat meat or I'm no. sorry I don't eat that. That's but fine. the rest had to had to had to live with it and then um the, the danish guy who is typically like uh, i i love the danes you know they are so um uh, so very very um how how would i say it uh, just what you see is what you yeah, get straightforward, you know? yes. Yeah, just straightforward, um, you know, they, and whatever criticism comes his way, you know, he can take it. But then he's pretty much very just open and, and will just bluntly say things the, the way they come as well. Oh, and, you know, having these these two uh, with uh, discussing food was, was hilarious then.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, somewhat of a reserved uh, Scot or or, or uh, Brit in the broader sense of the word, and then the uh, I know the Dutch are being called blunt, but I think the Danes are are even one degree more blunt than the yes. Dutch can be occasionally. Yes. All right, fantastic. Yes. Um,
1: yes, and I do recall, I have to say one thing of this, sure. being in Morocco, yeah. and uh, it's one other thing which made me laugh so much. Being in, in Morocco, uh, you have to go through all the uh, different authorities. They're big on their bureaucracy, so you have mm. to go to customs, police, whatever. And it takes quite a few hours to actually clear all the documentation to be able to then move about in Morocco. Yeah. And I do remember all of us being in this police office in Ezuera and he gave us our forms to fill up and the Scottish guy wrote down he's Scottish. He didn't write down. He's from the UK. He wrote down he's Scottish. It <laughs> doesn't work. And the, guy's, no, and the guy said, Scottish, your passport says United Kingdom, you know. And he says, well, for all intents and purposes, for me, I am Scottish. I don't mind. I don't care what the, my passport says. And this guy looked at him in, in complete disbelief because obviously he didn't know about the whole issue, about the referendum yes. and everything. Yeah. And it's like... I'm going to write United Kingdom and just ignore them. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: probably the wisest of the two. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. All right. That's a, that's a great example. That's a great story like that. Um, and then the, 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 the third big pillar, I think, uh, is uh, that you also from for ages, for at least another 10 plus years, you've been lecturing at the University of Malta.
1: Yep, I yeah, I do. I do. Uh, On the topic
0: uh, that we both have an interest in, which is intercultural management.
1: Yes um so I lecture in uh, what's called the the media and knowledge science faculty and one of the courses I do is intercultural communication so preparing more the second year students in to, to deal with intercultural differences and it's great to to just see especially since half the class is Maltese the other half would be Erasmus students so yes. students from all over Europe um, yeah and you you actually see especially when we're speaking about intercultural differences the, the distinction between the Maltese students and the Erasmus students in terms of being a small island you you're much more protected. Mm-hmm. Much more closed. Um, very much. I mean, family for us is is part and parcel of, of, of life. Yeah. You know, of everyday life. And and um, the fun part is actually getting them to 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 really not only just interact with the Erasmus students, but start opening up even uh, their their mind to to different cultures. But realizing ultimately, because I can't teach them about different cultures. But what I really try to help them to do is actually become more understanding of what is different and, and um, accepting.
0: So what, how, how do you do that? Or what, what's your, pr- your prime instrument to do that?
1: Okay. Um, what, what I do is from a practical level, their, their assessment is really they have to work together as a whole class in preparing an event. Um, and so I, I just tell them, you have to do something about um, intercultural communication. It has to be on campus. You decide whatever event it has to be. Um, I'm just interested in you coming up with something solid and being successful in what you present. And what I do is actually observe how they work together. So usually they have a communication via a Facebook page um, and and. I just observe how how they work together, and obviously, uh, being fifty plus, they do have their big difficulties in getting to interact together. And and then we, we just post mortem also deal with um, how this whole this whole exercise has been going on. And most of the time, it's um, just. People do things in different ways mm-hmm. and they get to realize how they have to really adjust to, to other people so that, you know, as a group they can be successful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then also on a, on, a, on a theoretical level, what we do is, is pick up a number of, of uh, minorities which are across Europe and study those mi- minorities. And mm-hmm. the biggest minority being, for example, the Roma community where uh, we discuss at length and watch a number of documentaries about the Roma community. Incidentally, there hardly is any, any Romas in, in in Malta just because it's not a place where um, there is an interest in settlement from the yeah. Roma community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so even for, for the Maltese students, it's generally quite a new topic, but then the Erasmus students are more exposed to Roma and, and therefore they bring in their own ideas. Yeah. But then also discussing, you know, um, how much... Uh, Roma should adopt, and how much we should actually let them be who they are, because that's part of their culture, and usually sparks uh, very very hot debates. I can imagine? We can because imagine. They're,
0: they're, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, being from continental Europe, it's it's they they are talked about this this small community.
1: Yep, yep. So, it, so it does spark a lot of, of of discussion, and 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 where to limit, where where to delineate, um, uh, what to do.
0: Okay. And, uh, yeah.
1: and uh, yeah, and how some countries have handled the situation, which uh, has not necessarily been successful.
0: Yeah, true. I guess as well. And and then you you uh, before we actually hit record, you you were, we were talking about stereotypes as well. Um, is, is that something you use in your lectures as well? Work, working with stereotypes, working around stereotypes.
1: Yes, uh, dealing with 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 stereotypes, um, understanding what the stereotypes are—not just the generic ones, you know, about the Italians, the French, or whatever—but yeah. um, primarily uh, being what we work a lot at is more the psychology of communication, which is being more aware of our own uh, perceptions. And our own stereotypes, because stereotyping is one of the perception mm-hmm. uh, processes we have and how having more self-awareness to to how we perceive and how we stereotype mm-hmm. and then being also then uh, able to, to to handle that and to deal with that objectively.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, interesting. It's a, it's it's such a vast topic, and I think if if um, if students are a little bit older and if they have somewhat of a frame of reference, they can be very um, uh, thankful, uh, uh, a thankful audience. It's a nice audience to work with, I think.
1: Yes, yes, it is is great. And I've been doing this for 10 years now. So it's great to still meet some some students of 10 years ago, you know, or eight years ago. And they just tell me, oh, I still remember this we had in class or whatever so that's brilliant
0: (laughs) absolutely yes that's what i like about doing the the intercultural bit as well because it's not only i mean you can talk about business and stuff like that and that could be interesting or talk about europe and that could be interesting as well but every time i think it always it's also about you it's when you talk about intercultural management it's actually about you it's you and the others it's not about the others only it's always you have a part in that as well i think
1: Absolutely, and and it, it's it's being so much, um, also being able to, to adapt, mm-hmm. but but also to think. Okay, why 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 is it why am I always thinking this thing or why yeah. am I doing this thing? But it is it is a crucial part of it all, because ultimately, what you can really change is yourself oh, well, more yes. than other people.
0: Yes, absolutely all right fantastic um i have a uh uh, the the last question two questions i always ask at the end for some people that's uh, that's difficult i doubt this is not difficult for you can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent from your own experience
1: okay um so uh, first thing is listen Listen, listen, and by listening, it's not just hearing, but being able to to listen between the lines and and to to uh, understand and and before putting yourself into any situation. The second thing is then being more aware about yourself, um, and the third thing I think is very important for me is is respect.
0: How do you show respect? How, how do you do um, that? Because again, that is a non cultural. Uh, uh non-neutral word.
1: Yes, uh yeah. I, I would say the, the the respect part comes in into not only acknowledging that somebody is different but respecting that difference. Um and, and for me, respect comes a lot in, I, I take the example of when we started discussing all this. I mean, take me being here in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Um, I may not agree with everything in the way they are done here in Belgium, but I should never be criticizing because I am a guest here. I should respect the way they do it. Um, maybe if I have the opportunity, put in my idea or pitch in how I think it could be better, mm-hmm. but ultimately I should be very respectful Respectful of how things are done here because this is, I am a guest.
0: Yeah, good point. Good point. Good. You're a guest, and uh, there are cultural differences. It's not cultural better or cultural worse. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Um, Anna Marie, how can people get in touch with you if they want to?
1: Okay. um, I'm. Very much on the social media. So Facebook, Twitter, um, LinkedIn. It's Anna Maria Dramanin or Salana Sailing. So um, uh, anyway, like that, that's 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 good for me. So I'm I'm very willing to be able to connect with anyone who is following your show because that means they're also very interested in culture.
0: <laughs> yes, so hopefully they are. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. All these uh, the ways of getting in touch with anna Marie will be in the in the show notes. You can find those in culturematters.com slash zero. Five, zero, and then uh, that's your name and a title. I still have to make up because I still haven't done that yet. Just go to the search box and um, and, f- and, and do type something with Malta. It'll pop up in any case. So that's it. Um, it's one of the longer interviews. Usually I uh, I finalize them around thirty minutes or something. We've been um, on the phone on the Skype if you want for more than forty minutes now. Oh yeah, well sorry. that's fine. No, it's a, that's, I, <laughs> I enjoy the, the the content as well. So we determine how long the the, the they roll on, so it's not—it's—it's uh, it's not the audience, fortunately. <laughs> 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 All right, well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Oh, one last question: Where is Christmas going to be? On the boat or in Belgium? on the boat Ah, ah.
1: (laughs) and and hopefully Christmas Day will be somewhere where it's just going to be me and my partner on the boat at anchor and Uh, just see
0: I can imagine my goodness (laughs) yes all right well have a wonderful uh, holiday season as they say politically correct and um, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on this on this podcast and I'm pretty sure we'll talk again in the future
1: thank you Chris bye bye
0: bye Thank you, Anna Maria, for coming, um, well, not all the way to Brussels, because you were there already, but coming on the show and uh, sharing your ideas, so very frank and so very honest with us. Really appreciated the talk. So... Where are we? Culture Matters podcast episode number fifty. This is done over and done. Um, one more thing to do, or a couple of things more to do. That's to ask you for a iTunes review and rating. That's one thing, and the other thing that you could possibly do is check out the uh, the books that I've written on culture and cultural differences. There are actually two, and check those out by uh, going to culturematters.com and uh, clicking on the links and because the, they're mentioned there as well, so it's not hard to find. And they're available. On uh, as ebooks books in the Amazon store. Well, that's it. I'm gone. I'll be, ne- I'll be back in uh, with the next podcast with another interview, of course. And um, stay well and talk to you soon. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters Podcast. Helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.